0: Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I serve on the team with Converge Northeast and I'm so excited to bring you today's conversation with a longtime friend of mine, Brian Prue. And as you'll hear in the interview, Brian has deep roots in New England and we've been able to track together and ministry through a few different endeavors. Uh, but I'm just so excited. You know, sometimes I feel like it's easy to identify and see the gifts of a point leader in an organization, the lead pastor, the CEO, the director of a nonprofit. But there is so much treasure in those who are in leadership on a team, especially a larger team. And Brian has served in a few different capacities. He served for a long time at a great church in Connecticut, Walnut Hill Community Church. He led one of their campuses there for over a decade And I just so much appreciate getting to know Brian better through this conversation and hear about some of the things that he's involved in now. And he actually serves on our team part-time with Converge Northeast, encouraging our Connecticut pastors and our advanced team there. And as you'll hear, he's doing some work with Walnut Hill, but also is involved in a corporate coaching business, which God kind of brought to the surface. And and obviously in the marketplace, coaching is a buzzword and an important thing, but we uh, believe that every single pastor should have a coach. Someone who can walk through the different challenges, the different opportunities, who can ask great questions, which is one thing that coaches do. And Brian does that so well. And so that's one of our values at Converge Northeast. And so if you want to, if this conversation sparks and says, I need a coach, reach out to us, send us a DM on our Instagram at Converge Northeast, send me an email, Andy at Converge Northeast, and we will work to try to help you find a coach. And we can do that in a variety of ways. Maybe connecting you with Brian would be one of those ways. But I don't wanna waste any more time. I wanna jump right into this interview with my friend, Brian Peru. You are in for a treat, my friends. Here's our interview. So I'm here with my friend, longtime friend, now somewhat of a co-worker, co-la- always yeah. long-time been a co-laborer, uh, Brian Prue. I would hope so. I hope so. Yes, absolutely. Brian, it is so good to welcome you to the Evergreen Way Podcast. Thanks for jumping on with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is great. I'm excited to be here.
0: So help people understand sort of your, your world, your context, where you're living today. Uh, what does it look like in terms of work, family? Give us a perspective of, of where, where you are.
1: Yeah. So I live in the western reaches of Connecticut, just on the border of New York. So kind of like the outer edge of New England, depending on how you define New England these days. But yeah, so I've been here probably about 12 years and I came to be a campus pastor with Walnut Hill. So I planted and launched a campus. Uh, And then recently, probably about seven months ago, I actually kind of transitioned into a new role where uh, I went to a part time role at Walnut Hill. And, uh, yeah, I'll get more into that in a minute, but I should back up and say, I have four beautiful daughters, my wife, Julie, we've been in ministry for almost 20 years. I think this is year 19. And so, uh, yeah, it's just been amazing to see how God's kind of used us in New England. I'm from Maine originally. So I've always kind of been in these parts. So I'm excited for what God's doing in the church in New England and, uh, what get, what I get to be a part of now through both Converge and Walnut Hill, where I lead a, uh, basically a pastor's network in my county Litchfield county I love that I've loved interacting with that
0: work that you're you're doing there we're, we're gonna definitely unpack a lot of those things as we go along great
1: today uh, house full of girls so that's uh that's an adventure for you <laughs> it's uh it's funny old ladies stop me in the grocery store and say they'll take care of you when they're old I don't know what that means but it's some it's supposed to be comforting to me in this in this season so we'll see that's great, awesome. So you are a born and raised
0: New Englander, and you mentioned yeah. your heart for the Church of New England. Uh, give what were some of the formative things between growing up in Maine and mm-hmm. then ended up in Connecticut. Um, you're almost at the two decade club in ministry. Um, obviously, there's there's probably a lot of things you could share, but there are a couple of things that have kind of helped form who you are.
1: Yeah, I think a couple things were uh, honestly. I mean, grew, I grew up in a great church in Portland, Maine. Uh, It was First Baptist of Portland. And the pastor there was really just all about Jesus. Uh, And Mm -hmm. he he had a tagline that I'd still remember now. I don't remember any of his sermons, even though I'm sure they were wonderful. Uh, But the tagline was always go and give them Jesus. You know, it's like there was that sense of mission and sentness after every service. And it really kind of has stuck with me. Uh, and then one of the formative things is I never wanted to go into ministry. I remember reading a book on discipleship kind of towards the end of high school or college. And I was like, oh, that sounds too hard. I'm going to put that down. That's not interesting. And then I went away to YWAM, uh, kind of mid-college, told my parents I would go back Debated not going back, but uh, the Lord kind of brought me back. But it was there kind of, I felt like God kind of gave me a heart for ministry, heart for the church. I uh, really wanted to see more of what God was going to do in New England. And so kind of out of that, I ended up in Marblehead Mass as a youth pastor for a bunch of years. Then I came down to Walnut Hill. But I think some of the big formative pieces really are uh, some of the people in the last 20 years that have really invested in me. Bob Dibbs, who was a pastor I grew up under, huge heart for care. Uh, he was one of the people that really taught me what it meant to shepherd people and what it meant to love people well. Uh, and then Clive Calver, our senior pastor here at Walnut Hill for a couple of years when I was here, uh, really opened my eyes to what the church could be more on a global perspective, but also you know the role of the spirit in the church and in our own personal spiritual lives, because in a lot of ways he was kind of the silent partner of the Trinity for many years mm-hmm. of my life and and so just recently you know just really kind of seeing some of those things come to fruition has been really valuable for me that's
0: excellent and we met in your youth ministry days uh, which was great we were both doing different things in pseudo ministry so it's been been that's excellent. right that's, yeah that's good so you uh, had the privilege of helping launch a mm-hmm. site of a, of a church that I know and love and I knew Clive uh, continue to know him, but uh, that was my first connection with the Hill was through him. Yep. And um, you are, pa- you pastored for a decade in yep. New Milford. Um, and so talk to me about this, um, both the uh, initial, what you thought going into being a campus pastor, mm-hmm. what the reality was and some of the things you might've learned in that journey.
1: Yeah. I honestly it's so long ago I don't know if I can remember back that far. No. But uh I think everything that I thought I knew about ministry uh and the the way the church worked was different because I'd come from you know uh smallish church, hundred, 150 people. I was a youth pastor, uh you know, kind of, a, I, I call it the junk drawer pastor. You're, you're the associate. Everything kind of falls into your lap when the senior pastor can't do it or is too busy or, or is out of town. And so uh, I think moving from really kind of being responsive to what other people were giving me to maybe be, being a little bit more proactive as the lead pastor of a location That was probably a big learning for me to really understand too then also the authority that came with that uh because in some ways i still wanted to kind of operate as the kid you know the kid they hired to to teach the youth but i I wasn't that i was now the pastor and i had people uh, as old as my grandparents at the time looking to me for spiritual care for investment for wisdom so i think for me one of the biggest learnings was i really needed to learn how to lean on the Holy Spirit in moments to give me wisdom beyond my years. Uh, I really needed to kind of open my eyes to this idea of uh, with my role came an authority that I did not necessarily earn. But because of because of the title, people are giving me respect in a way that uh, I had not necessarily ex- expected. And so I think probably the biggest learnings were self. I had to really learn what it meant to be one worthy of the role and worthy of the call that I had been invited into. Uh, I think the other piece that I didn't fully anticipate was the pace, Uh, you know, going from a smaller church to a large multi-site church. uh, The complexity doesn't double, doesn't triple like 10 X's when you do multi-site. So the interpersonal relationships with every member of our staff, whether or not they had a direct tie to my campus was really important. And so I spent a lot of time building relationships because Uh, that seemed to be the best and most efficient way to to really get the things that i needed and to also then help people with what they needed so that we were all kind of winning because it would have been really easy just to kind of put up a a stink anytime i didn't get everything i thought i needed and uh not really be a team player in some other ways so so i think there was there were some definitely big learnings on moving systems from a small church to a larger church There were definitely some personal things around learning how to kind of own the authority that I was now given. And then uh, just on a purely logistic piece, I, I had to learn to calendar completely different. I had to really learn how to guard my time. I had to learn how to schedule well, how to use my calendar, how to not commit to things without checking my calendar first, all things that you can kind of get away with in a small church, but you can't in a larger church.
0: So, talk to me about uh, the team dynamics because that's a really interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned that you did have positional authority to a degree, a title, and you obviously yep. were leading uh, a significant size campus um, in New England, especially. You would you if it, if that church was on its own, it would have been a larger church in New England. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you have these dynamics. You have both authority over you, but you have all these dotted line, you know, ambiguous, gray relationships. Like you said, it could be easy to kind of just cash that in, but you said you chose instead to invest in that, like what what wisdom would you have for somebody who may be serving on a team uh, that you kind of gained from that experience?
1: Yeah, I, I think the biggest one is is realizing that uh, for me, God didn't gift me with everything that I needed to actually lead that church completely well. I actually needed the people around me to go beyond what I was capable of leading that church into. Uh, and there are some real benefits to that because with a larger team, you know, I think one of the great things was nothing was ever solely only on my shoulders. I had people that I could lean on and say, hey, help me talk through this. Help me work through this. Hey, can you come in and actually be a voice in this conversation? Uh, can you give me some wisdom on maybe a way we could move this forward? And then the, there's that sense, too, that with being on a team, you know, like, uh there are moments where it's easy to focus on what you're doing in the life of the church. And sometimes that prevents you from seeing maybe where some of the needs are of the people around you. So I think for me, if anything, one of the things that I realized was uh, early on, the temptation was to make sure I got the things that I needed for my people, because it was my people, that was my justification. Uh, And that, didn't always lend itself to the best results because what I was doing is I might get the resource or the thing that I needed, but I, I wasn't gaining the the partnership that I really actually wanted. You know, so oftentimes I think early on I w- I was trading for resources and I was sacrificing partnership. And so I think hopefully that changed as I got older and wiser, but uh, part of the dynamic on a multi-site is really the sense of like, we're all in this together. And so there's gonna be some moments where you're gonna be pulled into things that don't necessarily don't necessarily relate directly to your campus, but they relate to the whole church. And so they're valuable. So I think kind of realizing that I was part of something bigger was a continual learning to make sure that I never just focused solely on my campus. Uh, but I also had to guard my time to make sure that my campus did get the focus that it did need and the time that I could give.
0: Yeah, the, when I hear you speak, first of all, I hear a posture, right? I hear a sort of an attitude of one, inviting people into, by asking for help, you're actually endearing other people that you're you you know you're proving that you're not thinking that you, you have it all together, that you know how to do everything. And then that that priority of partnership that you mentioned, um, which I think extends in, you know, we'll get to this too, but in why you are um, been put in the positions that you are both in the county that you're in and then also with Converge to be able to be a more broad partner um, in the region, which is really, really awesome.
1: So. And i would say, don't get me wrong. I got it wrong plenty of times in that season. And I definitely had to go back and kind of mend some relationships over the years uh, just because I realized that the posture that I wanted to take wasn't necessarily always the posture that I lived out. Yeah, I think these principles apply, though, whether you're in a
0: small church as a, a mm-hmm. volunteer and that uh, I think, especially in the Northeast, it's easy to get into a scarcity mindset and to. Yeah. Uh, feel like, you know, whether it's the budget or the resources of people or whatever things, time, schedule, announcements on Sunday morning, whatever, whatever space for sort of to uh, have that posture of sort of scarcity and silo um, those, you know, that we have to resist, like you said, uh, it it takes intentionality to be able to work against those things and to have that that type of uh, perspective, which is, is really, really great. Um, The the one thing I've always appreciated about you, Brian, as I've known you, uh, and I think part of why uh, your role as a campus pastor was, uh, something that you did for so long is that you, you, it sounds like you got this too, from a young age, but the, the heart of pastoring as shepherding, Mm -hmm. um, not just pastoring as preaching, which, you know, you do and you do fine. Uh, but the idea of like, how, what does it mean to shepherd and care and lead and guide these people to be in their lives, in their messes? Um, what do you think that, uh, that comes from like, obviously God has given that to you. The spirit has, has forged that in you. Um, But talk to me about like the priority of a, as a pastor, even in a larger church, maybe even more so in a larger church Hmm. of, of having that relational focus, that shepherding care heart.
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of it was our model actually kind of encouraged that. Uh, So we did a um, I would only preach maximum two times a month. Uh, unless there was a holiday, uh, you know, Christmas Eve, Easter, something like that. And so in that sense, my primary role wasn't preaching or teaching. So I couldn't hold away in an office, uh, and, you know, hours on end preparing sermons. Uh, my role was really care and leadership. So really to, to care for the people that needed it and to lead the, the congregation into everything that God wanted us to do. And so in that sense, um, a lot of my time was spent over a cup of coffee In meetings with leaders kind of dreaming about what the lord might want to do because you know even though we were part of a larger church uh there weren't always guaranteed things you know for a number of years we relied primarily on volunteers for um youth ministry we we did we always kind of had a children's person but volunteers for for worship and so um there was definitely that sense of like if i am not building relationships with not just the people that are useful, but just the people in my church, I'm not fulfilling the kind of the mandate of what I've been asked to do. Uh, and so even though I love being on stage and kind of leading people into encountering the, the living God on a Sunday morning, that wasn't my primary function. That was kind of like the, not the cherry on top, but that was kind of like the perk of the job. So I used, I would say a lot of it kind of comes from maybe a little bit how God's wired me, but then also just who I've kind of been modeled under. So I mentioned Bob and and Clive. Bob was a carer. You know, he was the person that he, he was always at the hospital. He was, you know, making phone calls. He he was really making sure that the people under his care knew that he was praying for them and he was available. And uh, it was interesting, Clive. Uh, he initiated a couple of things that were really interesting to me. He had prayer groups of, uh, you know, men in the church that he saw as potential future leaders, maybe even ten years down the road. And he invested in them, and he made his himself available. And so. That that was something that I chose to kind of then model. And then uh, also Clive had this sense of like, we're not the only church in town. So we should actually have relationship with other churches, even if we don't completely agree on everything. And so from an early day, I've always kind of reached out to other pastors and tried to build relationship and a sense of kind of unity of purpose. And uh, to this day in New Milford, I still meet with uh, pastors in my town and we still pray together. Uh, we used to do it every week during the pandemic, but now we're kind of more like a once or twice a month. But uh, those relationships have been invaluable as a pastor who needs care, who needs other pastors who understand, but on also a sense of mission, being united together with people that have a vision for doing something in your area was mm-hmm. huge. So I think I got a lot of off, but a lot of it I think came under who I kind of got to grow up in ministry under. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was great. Um, we got to interact together with some pastors in Western Connecticut and Kent. And one thing mm-hmm. that I walked away from in that was, uh, there was, and I don't even remember the exact pastors I met, but there's a few from your community who were there. And I just remember them having off the tip of their tongue stories, some of them, hilarious stories of, uh, interactions that you guys had, had shared in together and ways you helped each other out. And, um, that's just a great testimony to the fruit of not obviously not just you, but those pastors together and what you guys have fostered in, in uh, in community, which is great. And I want to get back to the pastor side, but I know that a part of you've, you recently went through a transition of role. So you're no yeah. longer the campus pastor at the new man, new Milford campus for Walnut Hill, but there's a few layers to this, which are really interesting to me. One, you're still on the team there. So you were able mm-hmm. to, to serve for a decade transition in a way that you're still in fellowship and, and even serving their team. And then second, you you've uh, which may be a whole nother conversation too, but a, another aspect of what drove that was that you have brought some leadership into some marketplace um, endeavors. And yeah. so let's start with the Walnut Hill, the transition part of that, and what you're doing now. And then let's talk about the marketplace leadership that you're doing.
1: Sure. I mean, those two things are a little linked in the beginning, but uh, probably about two years ago, I was getting ready to go on sabbatical, And I was just, well, when I was in need of a sabbatical, I was, you know, just, uh, just worn out. Uh, I wasn't burnt out, but I I was worn and I was probably fraying more than I would even probably acknowledge. So, uh, I was really excited about this idea of really investing intentionally and rest and renewal on my sabbatical and creating some rhythms in that, that I could carry into the rest of my life because I, I didn't want this to be like that moment where six years from now, I'm like, Oh, remember sabbatical. That was literally the last time I felt rested in the Lord. I need to go back now. I, I still want to take another one in seven years. But, uh, so out of that, I, I was praying a lot about what the Lord was doing. And I, and I had kind of started, uh, doing some leadership and executive coaching, uh, a few years ago, just kind of, um, for some first for a friend and his business, and then for a couple other friends. and so there was something that the Lord was kind of doing in that, and I wasn't totally sure what it was, uh, but I was very conflicted because um, my heart for the church is is big, and there's something about this idea of, can you really step away from the church and still say you have a heart for the church? Uh, and I said, yes, in theory, but I didn't feel it. So it kind of led to a journey where about a year ago, actually, I walked into my boss's office and I said, hey, I, I think I'd like to talk about going part-time. And I don't know what that means. Uh, but I knew that my marketplace uh, coaching business was growing to a, a size that I wanted to do some things there. And honestly, it It was providing me opportunities to speak into people's lives in a way that I did not always get to do as a pastor sometimes. But uh, so there was something unique that the Lord was kind of doing in that. And then uh, my boss kind of asked me this question and I wasn't prepared for it. He said, well, what would you want to do here? And I was just like, you know, my heart of hearts says I, I would want to pastor pastors, but that's your job. And so uh, he said, well, you're already kind of doing that, Litchfield County. What would it look like if we just created space for you to do more of that? So uh, so in this past June, I kind of transitioned, uh, which is also the worst time to transition into a role where you're supporting pastors because everyone's on vacation in July. <laughs> So uh, I spent July sending a lot of emails and hearing a lot of crickets back. But uh, once August rolled around, I started getting some people together. And and so in September, we started uh, three prayer groups in Litchfield County. And so now most of my time is really just kind of connecting with those pastors, trying to grow those prayer groups. And then quarterly, we get together and Andy came and spoke at one of them. Uh, but we get together really around this premise that pastors need to be together, they need to be praying for each other. And we're actually all better if we're in this together because uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different landscape than it was. And it's only getting harder. So, so that's a little bit of the transition. And then uh, through that, yeah, the marketplace piece, the coaching, uh, honestly, it, it's how I like to pastor. I love asking questions and I love people walking away with something that they want to do to see their life move towards thriving so uh you know as a pastor i would want them to be both spiritually and physically thriving as a coach i want them to be thriving in their business but i also know that uh whenever you talk about business you end up talking about life and whenever you talk about life you end up talking about the the core things of life hope you know where are you finding hope what does spirituality play into this so it's just an open door to kind of see people finding life in every aspect of what they're doing
0: I think something that's really uh, profound in what you shared, uh, because I think um, many pastors are entrepreneurial or have ideas Mm -hmm. or, or may even have some of those inclinations, but um, it's, it's insightful to to hear about your journey in terms of the fact that some of these things, you, you piloted them, you tried them out even while you were still doing the thing Mm -hmm. that was in front of you. And, and it wasn't like you were in a rush to get to this. It was a process and there was obviously a sabbatical was a part of that. A conver- you know, a year ago, a pa- conversation with your past, you know, your, um, your boss and stuff like that. So, um, what, what would you have for counsel if somebody feels a stirring, uh, I think there's going to be an increasing number of bivocational leaders mm-hmm. who are uh, investing heavily in the life of the church, whether in a lead role or a supportive role. Um, if somebody has those inclinations, what were some of the things that you did to kind of evaluate, is this a good idea? Is this the right direction to move into it? And then kind of executing that.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think part of it is finding someone that sees the value in what you're trying to do. You know, so for me, I had a good friend, we would talk about leadership all the time. I would talk about church leadership. He'd talk about his business and those things intersect so, so many ways. And so, uh, he was the one that kind of said, Hey, well, Hey, you know, I want to do this for my team. Why don't I pay you to do it? And and that was a really marker moment for me. Like, wait, you would pay me to do this. Oh, okay. I'll try this out. (laughs) You know, I make it sound very casual because it was, but you know, like I would like to think I had something to offer that was worth remuneration. But uh, I think part of it is, you know, like, what do people see in you that's uh, maybe has some value outside of just a ministry context? And then I think the other part is, um, yeah, find out what you need to do it well. Because I think what, I, what I've what i encountered is there's a number of pastors and we do things kind of half-heartedly and it does not actually bear good witness. Uh, and so I, I think try to be excellent in what you do. And so for me, part of the slow uh, role, I mean, I've been coaching for this is my year, this is year five. And so I've only been doing it as my full-time kind of role for the last half of year. Uh, so four and a half years, I spent really trying to read a lot, get good at what I was doing. I went back to school for some accreditation. Uh, you know, I got to really reach out to a lot of people and said, Hey, how do you do this? What do you do? Uh, so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do I do this well so that when, you know, I, it, when I am charging people money, I am offering something of great value, and so I think that's part of it is figure out and then, you know, figure out what you can do, what you could offer. But then I think part of it too is the why. Why? Why are you doing this? Is it because you really just need the extra money? Is this really an exit plan? Uh, and just be clear about it. For me, it was it was gr- a great extra source of income. I didn't really have any plan to make it a, a full time gig. That kind of happened uh, over the course of the last four and a half years, five years. Uh, but I think if you're going to look to do something outside of the church, I think the other piece too would be really setting up good boundaries so that it's not affecting your ministry. So uh, I have a an agreement that I don't I don't solicit coaching clients in. Any of the organizations that uh, I run in. Now, if someone reaches out to me, that's a conversation that I usually have with a couple of people. But for the most part, I'm there to add value as a pastor and as a co laborer. And uh, my business outside of that, I entrust that God will kind of grow. And I do some work too. But, you know, like I guess maybe that's actually the best thing I'd say is where's the Lord gifted you and where are you seeing fruit already? Maybe that's where you should push in. Because yeah, if
0: yeah. No, go ahead. I I love that. Um the affirmation of others, the I'll try that approach to things is a huge one. I think we all need to maintain that, it whether it's in our current role or in other endeavors. Uh that's a really, really good thing. And then, you know, a lot of a lot of people see um the they see the tipping point when you step out into something they might see when you launch a website, but the, the mm-hmm. time it took And I even go back to when you talked about starting as a campus pastor and you mentioned, I had to learn how to calendar. Like if you hadn't developed those skills and been faithful where God had you, like, I, I can't imagine with the different lanes that you're running in now that you would even be able to function. Um, so those, those
1: lessons I'm sure would, would be how, I'm sure you're still learning those things
0: too, but, uh, that's, that's good. <laughs>
1: Well, I was doing the math. I I keep five separate calendars right now, <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. I mean, they're all consolidated on one on my computer, but like there are five different okay. organizations and and things. One being my family, it's not an organization, but uh, you know, so like part of it is really useful. And I think the other piece for me is then making sure because I'm doing so many different things, I'm not neglecting my personal spiritual time, my family and rest. And so part of what I've chosen to do is I've I've set a limit on my hours for everything I'm doing because I want to make sure that I'm attending to myself and my family well. Otherwise, I can't do what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, so tell me some of the things that came out of that sabbatical season specifically in terms of rest. And mm-hmm. spiritual disciplines. I'm sure that you had spiritual disciplines, uh, I would hope, before that as a pastor. But um, how has God been calibrating that? And what does rest look like for you coming out of that season?
1: Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, when we went on sabbatical, we chose to do uh, really kind of a lot of visiting of family and friends at the first half. And then a lot of rest at the second half. So I get to the middle of my sabbatical and I looked at my wife. I said, I don't think I'm doing this right. <laughs> And she said, well, are you tired? And I'm like, no, but we're busy. She's like, yes, but you're doing things that add value, add life to who you are. You like being with these people. Uh, And we chose people we liked. And so uh, if you're listening to this and we didn't come visit you, we still like you. Uh, But yeah, so I think for me, part of it was, I think, probably about three or four years ago, Gordon McDonald gave a talk to our staff and he said, you know, you got to reinvent your personal spiritual life every seven years. And when I heard that, I was like, yes, I need to do that. So about two and a half years later, when I went on sabbatical, I started to actually uh, figure that out. So for me, uh, I had it in my mind that I wanted to read through the Bible in its entirety, like three or four times a year, right? And That was great year one. Year two, (laughs) year three, it became a checklist. I was just trying to power through. I wasn't listening. And Mm -hmm. so I tried to reorient my posture in it. So now, uh, hopefully every morning when I open uh, the Bible, I say, all right, God, what do you want to speak to me today? And I fully expect that there's either going to be a verse or word either for me or for someone else. And I've gotten out of this practice a little bit, but I'm working to try to get back into it in 2023 is where if a scripture really pops up, I'm going to kind of say, all right, is this for me or for someone else? And if it's for someone else who, and then I just text it to him. So if you get a text from me about five 30 in the morning, hopefully it's going to be valuable because I feel like it might be from the Lord, but you test it and you weigh it and you let me know. Uh, so, i think for me it's really making sure that i have the time i think it's also making sure that i'm doing things that uh give me life so uh spending time with my family i have some hobbies i do some woodworking so i neglected that for a a while it kind of became uh something i i did just to get because we needed a table so i built a table but uh so doing that for more enjoyment now um but then also kind of uh, getting back into taking care of myself physically. And uh, so working four jobs this past year probably didn't lean towards uh, great physical health. So part of it is recapturing and being honest with myself and honest with other people. Oh, so, and the last piece is I have two guys that journey through life with me. We meet every other week. We talk about everything and anything. They can ask me anything. Uh, Just, Two weeks ago, one of one of the guys he's said some hard hard truth into my life, which I wasn't ready to hear a month ago, but I was ready to hear then and, and it it kinda hit me that I get to I had some work to do with the Lord on some things. And so that was really valuable for me. So I think it's creating the time, keeping the rhythm being around people that are going to help you and lift you up. Uh, and then I think rest can be restful. Uh, I mean, we're trying to observe Sabbath now. So we take Sundays, even though Sundays is a work day. Uh, I've really tried to posture Sunday mornings, whether I'm preaching or whether I'm just attending church to be worship. Uh, so I, I don't think work and worship have to be separate. Uh, I know there's like books on that, but uh, for me... It's really about the posture and saying, all right, Lord, I can be preaching and this can be rest because I am just I, this is the completion of everything you've been doing and speaking in this week. And this is not a performance, but this is, you know, like a partnership where we're doing something that's meant to be life giving both for the people receiving it and for me. doesn't mean that I don't want to take a nap afterwards, but it means that it's not an emotional toll
0: hmm.
1: or, or a spiritual toll man there's so much resonance uh maybe it's
0: because we're in a similar uh season of life but you know i remember in mid-30s kind of looking around be like I, I know a million people i you know i'm, mm-hmm. I'm can I, I, people i love i mean you're one of those people people i can pick up and have coffee with but i was like who actually knows me more mm-hmm. deeply and closely and so i i found two guys who were close friends and I told them, I'm now your third wheel. They'd known each other since college days and uh, wedged nice. myself into that. And And we are in constant conversation on text, and we get together, you know, we get to go away together mm-hmm. annually. And, and that's been like transformational. And then the, the other thing I did is I remember, I, look, I looked at my life and I said, all of my hobbies are ministry, mm-hmm. they, you know? And I realized I'm like, okay, that, and, and I love, I love ministry. I'm a creative person. I love writing songs. I love doing worship. I love doing this kind of stuff but there was something that was not healthy about that being true for the long haul. And so there's just, and there's more that you said there that I just want to just affirm um, for those who might be listening in here, that those are things. And, and it takes, you know, you didn't, you didn't foster that relationship with those two guys on accident. You don't fall into that. You know, you have to give people permission. You have to be open to being, and it's hard as pastors. I think a lot of us have, you know, we've taken darts, we've taken arrows, we have felt the wounds and so the 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 tendency or the, the um, temptation is to isolate, and um, yep. you know, and some of us are more wired that way than others. But I think for all of us, it, it's going to be pursuing that and being intentional. How did you? And let me just ask you on that specifically. With those those guys, how did that? How did you get to the point where that hard conversation that didn't just happen on one day? How did you foster yep. that type of intimacy and relationship with with yeah. others that could allow that? possibility
1: yeah well uh it's funny our my two guys one was a good, good friend. We'd been in ministry together for years. And one was someone I didn't really know, but, uh, he knew my friend and my friend said, Hey, I think this would be a great person for us to kind of, to bring in. So this other guy and I, we, we grabbed a bagel one morning really early, which he hates. Uh, I I like early. And so, uh, after that I said, yeah, we'll try it out. We'll give it a go. And now he's one of my best friends. And, you know, like, so a lot of it is being willing to be honest. Uh, I, I guess, the, the, when you were talking, the phrase comes to my mind, in ministry, wounds are actually worth it. Uh, and so like if, if I isolate, then I miss out on what the Lord might do through the people around me to shape me and to shape his church into what it's supposed to be. Uh, and I had to learn early on, uh, years and years ago, I walked through a church split. And so I had to learn mm-hmm. that God's got my reputation and people can be angry with me. And that's not a reflection of how the Lord sees me, and so I don't actually have to own that kind of that kind of uh, that baggage. Doesn't mean it doesn't affect me. Doesn't mean that I don't have to wrestle through it, but it, it doesn't mean that I have to carry with it, carry it with me forever. And so for me, there was a lot of self learning in terms of what it means to foster relationships that build life, and to to be the kind of friend that I want people to be for me. So uh, if I don't want someone to win me, I don't win that. So I don't try to pastor anyone in my group. I try to be Brian, right? Uh, I don't try to be the knowledge expert on anything. I don't try to teach a right theology. I just try to be uh, a friend. To be someone that I would want to journey alongside of. And, that, and I think that's really kind of what it comes down to is uh, creating space where people can be honest and you're going to receive it because you trust that what they're seeing might be different than what you feel or see. And it's worth weighing. So I went home and I started praying into what uh, my friend said. But even in the moment, I knew he was right. I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. It it was a piece of unforgiveness. I I had I needed to forgive someone. He said, "You've talked about it a couple times. It's probably about time. You know, it's probably past time." And he was right. So I kind of started doing some of the the personal work to make sure that I was no longer letting this define the relationship that I had with this other person. So, yeah, Well, great freedom in that. And um, thanks for. Thanks for sharing that. I took, uh,
0: before we got on the, uh, recording, um, you said that we weren't going to talk about how to do church right post COVID. Um, so no, that's, yeah. But, um, I do want to ask you this question, which is how do you, not necessarily how to lead the church or fix the church or all those things, Mm -hmm. but, and it probably ties into all what we've talked about advice for other pastors who are walking, in this journey right now? Maybe they feel lonely. Maybe they feel separated. Uh, Maybe they are longing for some of the things that you even described. Um, What would you give them as a word of encouragement as we kind of wrap up our time here together today?
1: I think what I would want to say uh, to everyone is that uh, the goodness of the Lord is on offer to you at any moment. And, um, Go to him. I, I kind of had this revelation actually this past Sunday in in uh, church. Uh, you know, as a coach, I ask a lot of questions, uh, and I get to this place where I, uh, probably a while back, and I said, you know, I can tell someone who's going to be a good friend by how many questions they ask me. You know, I think we've always had those questions; those interactions were like I asked every question in that interaction. That person didn't care about one thing about me. You know, it was about them. And sometimes that's all right, because that's the focus. Uh, But then I had this moment in church where I said, all right, I ask a lot of questions of the Lord. But I don't actually create a lot of space for the Lord to ask questions of me. And it was kind of this moment where I realized, like, how willing am I allowing the Lord to refine me? And so for pastors now, I would say, What are the questions the Lord's asking you that you need to wrestle with? Uh, Because if if you're in relationship with him, he's going to he's going to be providing the hope, the pieces that you need. But he wants to bring you deeper. And I think the other pieces, if you are lonely and you don't have anyone to talk to, pick up the phone and call someone, you know, even if it's only tangentially, tangentially and and just reach out and say, hey, how can I pray for you? And whether you like it or not, here's two things I could use prayer for. Can we check in in two weeks? Uh, I think pastors need prayer. I don't think a lot of people are getting prayed over, um, and I, I think that's one of the things that in all the groups that I lead, we focus big on prayer and we ask two questions: What's the Lord doing? What do you want the Lord to be doing? And that's where we pray. I don't actually want to hear about your new growth growth plan. I don't want to hear about your new Sunday school curriculum. I want to hear about what the Lord's doing, what you want him to be doing. Now, if he's moving through your Sunday school plan, okay, great. But I, I think uh, I would encourage people to reach out and use the networks that you have. If you're in a denomination like Converge, you know, reach out to the leadership, say who's in my area, who could I connect with? Mm-hmm. But it's amazing to me if you offer someone a f- cup of coffee, fifty percent of the time they'll say yes. So I my intro is always I'll buy coffee. Can we get together? I'll buy lunch, can we get together? So if you're hungry, call me. Uh, and yeah, so I think that, and then I guess really I would encourage people to, It. this is not about growing the church, but uh, this is a question I've been wrestling with when it comes to church post-pandemic. Uh, how are we allowing people to not just be told about God, but how are we allowing people to encounter God? not just through music, not just through you know uh, the elements of the service, but how are we actually helping people meet the living God and not just know about Him? Because for a lot of years of my life, I've told people about God, but I haven't always introduced them. So that's kind of where my focus is these days. I want to help people meet the living God. And that means I pray different. And actually, it means I, I don't hedge my bets when I pray too. I don't kind of say, oh, well, Lord, if it's your will, you know, I don't know if you could do this, but if you wanted to, this would be great. You know, I say, what do you want Jesus to do? Okay, let's pray into that. And I don't expect it's going to happen right in this moment, but God's good. I think he's going to show up and I think he's going to do something in someone's life. So I want to, I want to encourage people to expect more from the living God. He wants to do some good things in your life, like allow him to. So that was a little tirade, but I appreciate the question. I love that, Ty, right? And honestly, that's a
0: great place. There's, there's a lot in there. I'm going to have to listen back just to kind of pull out everything that you said, Brian. But thank you so much for engaging in this conversation. Uh, thanks for being obedient as God has asked you to do some things in this last season that have been, you know, maybe uncomfortable or transition and change. Thanks for being a part of Converge Northeast and helping us lead our Connecticut pastors in mm-hmm. gathering and then Litchfield County as well. So especially if you are in the Northeast, uh, please connect with us. We would love to help you. Yeah. Even if you're. we're not the network for you, we'll find you somebody to be a friend. I know Brian's heart is that way. Mine is the same. So you do not have to do ministry or life alone, especially for those of us who are leading in kingdom context. So thanks so much, Brian. Um, how can people get connected to you? I'm sure we can put some notes in uh, the show notes here for the podcast, but what would be an easy way for people to, to reach out
1: to you? Probably the email I check the most right now is brian at brianprue, P-R-U-E dot com. Uh, that's my coaching business, but you can reach out to me uh, without needing coaching. Uh, but I, I think the bigger piece is kind of your heart, Andy. Uh, if you need help getting connected, like look around. But if, if you don't know anyone, just email us. We'd love to help you uh, between Andy and I, we, I think, I would like to think we know half the pastors in New England, or <laughs> at least someone who does. And uh there There's a great need, I think, moving forward for pastors to be connected and to be cared for because, uh, yeah, ministry is different and uh, the Lord wants to do good things. I'm actually excited for this new season of what the Lord might do, because I I think in some ways the church is going to have a renewal that I don't really fully know what that's even going to look like. But I'm, I'm praying for that. And I'm here for it, too. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thanks, Eddie. Have a good one.
0: Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at convergenortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.